Good morning. My name is Father Adam Bradley. I'm the Assistant Vocation Director for our diocese, which means it's my job to help Bishop Ricken and Father Mark Melezeva, our Vocations Director, in the job of making new priests. So because of that, I don't have a parish of my own. So whenever there's a priest in a parish who's on vacation, on retreat, has other obligations, um, when the varsity squad is gone, they call up the JV squad from the diocese to pinch hit, which is why I'm with you today. So it's a joy. Today's gospel is the third part of a six-part uh, series called the Bread of Life Discourse. It all comes from John chapter 6. And in the first part, we had the feeding of the 5,000 with, with the five loaves and the two fish. Then Jesus and his disciples go off by themselves. The crowd follows them. They, t they discuss with one another about um, the bread of life. And Jesus says, I am the bread come down from heaven. And it's at this point that those who are following Jesus begin to struggle with Jesus, begin murmuring about um, what he says, saying, like, if he's the one who come down from heaven, don't we know this guy? But what he ends up telling them is he tells them that he is the bread of life, and whoever eats this bread has eternal life, and the bread that he will give is his flesh for the life of the world. And the word that he uses for eat in the original Greek in this text is phago. You might be familiar with um, this word if you've taken biology. Phagocytosis is one cell consuming another cell. All it means is simply to eat or to consume. Next week's gospel, we have Jesus doubling down. Even though these people who follow him struggle with it, struggle with him saying this, Jesus doesn't come back to them and say, wait, 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 wait. this is just a symbol. You know, you guys misunderstood me. Let me clarify. He actually doubles down and repeats himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Only he switches the word from phago, for to eat, to trago, which is like to eat vigorously or to consume because you're starving, to gnaw. So he actually repeats himself and intensifies the verb in an attempt to let them know that he's not kidding. That he is body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the Eucharist. And this is how he desires to remain with us. That he makes himself radically available to us in the Eucharist. And the Eucharist, if we think about it, it doesn't make sense. Why would the infinite God of the entire universe condescend himself and be present to us in something as stupid as a piece of bread? But this is what we believe as Catholics. This is one of the, this is one of the focal points of our faith. We believe that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, resides in every tabernacle, in every church throughout the world, body, blood, soul, and divinity, because he wants to be with you. And this doesn't make sense. The only answer I've ever heard when I've asked, like, well, why would God do that? Why would the infinite God do that? The only answer I have heard that actually makes any sort of sense is that love makes you do crazy things. Love makes you do crazy things. I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of a tabernacle. It is not an exciting place. But the, what it points to is the fact that the Lord wants to be with you. That he wants to be a part of your life. So much so that he resides here 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, waiting for you. 
So the fact that you exist and the fact that you're here means that the Lord takes delight in you and is joyed when you are in his presence. Whether you feel that's the case or not, your feelings don't actually have a gauge on that. Our feelings can be a good indicator as to how things are, but let's be honest, a strong wind can change our feelings. Like last night when it was thundering and lightning out and a big boom and I woke up at four in the morning, my feelings were changed a little bit. The reason why God desires to remain with us is because he wants to be a part of your life. But oftentimes throughout our life, we have a tendency to fall into a similar line of thought that Elijah did in our first reading. What many of us don't know is that right before Elijah goes and sits under a broom tree is that he goes through this huge thing of proving to the Baal prophets, these pagan prophets, that his God is the true God of all. And then after he proves it, he kills all of the prophets. And then his life is, going, is being sought because he did this, and so he's running away. So it's after this thing that he did that wasn't the best idea that he finds himself under this broom tree saying to the Lord, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Another way of saying that is, Lord, I'm done. Like, I'm very disheartened and discouraged. I'm frustrated. This thing isn't working out. I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to sit here and be. And oftentimes in our own lives of faith, there are things that cause us to be very frustrated or to become saddened with things of the faith. Because we don't feel God's presence immediately present to us, what begins to creep in is this discouragement, this frustration, this agitation in our interior lives. And then we begin to find things of the faith boring or a burden or an obligation that we have to check the box so that we go up when we die instead of down. It becomes a faith based off of rules that we hope we do, you know, more good things than bad. So when God puts it in the scale, the good outweigh the bad and we can be with him forever. It becomes a very laborious way of living out our faith. And oftentimes this is because we fail to go to the Lord with these things in our lives. And oftentimes we begin to, inappropriately so, identify ourselves by them. We begin to identify ourselves by the good things that we've done, the bad things we've done, the good or the bad things that may have happened to us. We begin to identify ourselves by our job, our career, what school we went to, our level of education, what family we come from. Those are all a part of who you are. Don't get me wrong. But it's not who you are. You are who you are in relationship to the one who created you. Which means by virtue of that creation... And by virtue of your baptism, your beloved son or daughter of God the Father. And the operative word in that is beloved. God's initial disposition towards you is one of love. That's actually what's holding you in existence right now, is his love. He's loving you into existence. So if God stopped loving you, it wouldn't be as though you were here one minute, gone the next. It would be as though you never occurred. 
So the fact that you're here means that God loves you. But us in identifying ourselves by these things that aren't worth putting our identity in leaves us very agitated because it's not who we are. But one of the ways in which the Lord desires to free us from that desolation is by being present to us. We all have things that are going on in our interior lives. Welcome to what it means to be a human. Congratulations, we all got stuff. But if we're not relating it to the Lord, in the nitty-gritty detail that we desire to relate it, we're not upholding our end of the bargain. You might be saying, Father Adam, God knows everything. He knows that I'm, you know, in this spot. He'll get me through it. It's like, you're right, but if you're not relating it to him, you're not upholding your end of the relationship. Relationships are usually two ways. When they're not, we usually run into problems. We have to relate those things that are weighing on us, just like Elijah in the, bit, in the midst of his despair, relates to the Lord what is on his heart. And the Lord responds by comforting him with an angel, giving him strength to go on a 40-day walk. Was it easy? No. But life's not easy. We all know that. Welcome to the human race. <laughs> but while you have thoughts and feelings and desires that are stirring within your heart that must necessarily be related to the Lord, one of the things we fail to realize is that God has thoughts, feelings, and desires about you personally that he desires to relate to you. But he's not going to relate them to you unless you place yourself in a disposition to be near him and to receive it. He's not going to force his way into your life because he respects you. He's not going to force his way in there. But it's the burning desire of his heart that he revealed to you your goodness and the love and the intention that he had for this world in calling you into existence. A lot of times we try to figure out who we are by our own estimations of things and comparing ourselves to others. You do not have the authority to explain to yourself who you are. Only God has the authority to explain to you who you are because he created you. He knows more about you than you do. And it's the burning desire of his heart to reveal this greatness to you. You were not called for anything less than the greatness of the glory of God in heaven. Settling for anything else other than that is settling for mediocrity. We have plenty of people in this world who are doing it. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. You'll see somebody who's settling for mediocrity in about 10 minutes or so. Don't be one of them. Bring your troubles and bring your lives to the Lord in the blessed sacrament. That's why he's here. He's the only one who can actually bring order to the chaos that we experience in this life. If you don't believe me, open up to the book of Genesis. It talks about there being a big chaos, and over the next few days or ever span of time, the infinite God orders all of creation towards himself because he's the only one who can actually satisfy it. This is what you were created for. A relationship with the infinite God. And this same God makes himself radically available to you in the Eucharist. 
This is why we as a church require that you come to Mass on Sunday. Heard a lot of people say many things about Mass on Sunday. They say, well, I, you know, encounter God more in nature. Great! That's awesome! You do not receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity out in nature. You receive that here at church. Trust me. I've been out in the woods. When I was in college, there was a period of time where I wasn't going to Mass. Now I'm a priest. But one of the things is, like, for all the time I spent not going to Mass, I never received Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. The reason why the church articulates this parameter of a relationship with God is because we have a tendency to go astray. And so it says, you need God. Go be with God for an hour on Sunday. A lot of times, I work at, I, um, I'm the chaplain at Xavier High School up in Appleton, and I've heard some students say, Mass is boring. It's like, okay, so let's look at what Mass is. We open the living, breathing word of God. Um, we hear a homily of varying degrees of excitement. Um, but then after that, we have the liturgy of the Eucharist, where heaven literally touches earth on the altar, where God's body, blood, soul, and divinity are made present to us. And that's boring. What I usually end up doing is throwing a fit and saying, you're a boring person, I'm sorry. If you want to be an exciting person, like, come and understand what's actually happening at Mass instead of just sitting there going, oh, I'm bored. It's like, great, you're bored. We've all experienced that. Why don't you try speaking to the Lord, bringing what's in your life that isn't necessarily going right, bring that to the Lord and see what he does with it. Trust him. That's why he's here. He's here that you might have peace. He's here that you might live out of that love that he's calling you to. And he's here to bring you to heaven. Life is not an easy thing. But he came to lift some of the burden if you permit him. He desires to walk with you in this life until you're safely with him forever in the next. Which is why he makes himself available to you every day in the Eucharist. As I mentioned before, I work a lot with seminarians. And at one point, I was in seminary myself. And we had to take a bunch of homiletics courses. So I went to school for seven years to become a priest. And all of my homiletics courses, they all talk about this one thing called landing the plane. It's bringing your homily to a nice, smooth landing. For some reason, I'm terrible at it. I don't know how to end this homily, so it's over. 